Amen. I'm thankful for the worship team here. Thankful for those songs this morning. Uh, would you join me in what I believe is an extremely important chapter in the Bible, Romans 14. Romans 14 today uh, will be our third week in this chapter. Romans 14, I'll go ahead and tell you it will not be our last week in this chapter. In the Christian life, our love and our unity is always going to be threatened. I hope we understand that. If you've been here for the last two weeks, do you remember why our unity and even our love is going to be threatened? The reason is we have differences among us. But with all my heart, I believe Romans 14 is one of the most important chapters in Romans. So I'm sure someone's thinking, hey, let's just kind of think we got it. Let's move on through. Romans 14 will absolutely help us if we will learn what it's saying, really apply ourselves, and then submit to what it is teaching. Follow it. So I'm going to really ask of you, do not look at Romans 14 as unimportant uh, as unnecessary or something we can just brush through quickly. This is extremely important for every church, every true church. And so we've not been preaching on just a few verses and moving through the chapter. It is one whole chapter, and I'm not sure exactly where it will finish. I know I have at least another message. It may be two more. I'll go ahead and tell you. It might be two more. I don't know yet. Uh, but today we will begin to look at the fourth main point. So for the third week in a row, I want to read the majority of the chapter today. We'll stop at verse 20. Everybody there? You got your copy of the Bible ready? Or if you need to, look on the screen. Uh, would you join me here? Verse number 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. Don't welcome to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything. It really doesn't matter. Is again kind of what makes some comments along the way. This person will eat pork and catfish and shrimp and even camel. I mean, you name it. These are things that Jews, because of Leviticus 11 in the Bible, would not eat. But also this person would even eat meat that had been offered to idols because in their mind it was just meat. So that's this person. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything. While the weak, this is not my terminology, this is the Bible's terminology. So you should already start formulating who are these weak and who are these strong. He says, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, this would be the most extreme. And this, the weak in the faith would represent a person say, I'm not eating catfish and shrimp and pork and camel and, and not eating meat that's been offered to idols. Uh, they would eat other meats, but then some would go so far as to, I don't even want to be, take a chance. I'm just not eating any of it. I'm eating only vegetables. That would be the most extreme. Verse 3. Why is this chapter so important? Because we're going to have differences of opinions and growth in the Christian life. So verse 3, let not the one who eats, hey, I'll eat it. Let not them despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. That was last week's message, mainly that phrase. Why? 
For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? That was last week's message. It's before his own master that he stands or falls. I talked about a couple of contractors on a job site. The electrician can't fuss at the irrigation guy for having a messy truck. That's not his job. He's not his boss. He doesn't answer to him. So verse 4 again. It's before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, you don't judge him. You mind your business. So verse 5 switches gears a little bit and you'll still perceive kind of the weak and the strong in the argument here. One person esteems one day out of the 365 or one day out of the month or one day out of the week. I'm applying those extra words there. One person esteems one day as better than another. That's really how they view. One day is better. It's more important. While another esteems all days alike. Paul, who's right? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day. This is the most important day. Why does he do that? He, Paul says he observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, he'll eat anything, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, I'm not eating that. Why are they doing that? Abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Lord, thank you for these vegetables. This guy's saying thank you for the catfish and the shrimp. They're both on different sides. But Paul is not taking a hard stance against right or wrong here. He's saying, hey, keep the theme of love that started in chapter 12. Keep that going. Verse 7, for none of us, none of us lives to himself. And none of us, talking about Christians, dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. What if we don't live? If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He's Lord of both. Switches gears in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? To one group. Last week's message. Or you, this week's message. Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Paul's conclusion, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Translation, stop doing what you've been doing. Don't do it any longer. But rather, decide. Here's what he's saying. You want to you make a judgment? You want to reach a conclusion? Reach this one. Decide. Hey, today's audience, this is you. Second part of verse 13. This will be next week's at least opening point also. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You can already tell who that's written to. Again, Paul, that's a see behind the scenes. I know and am persuaded, I believe Paul had to be persuaded, he was a very good, solid, kosher Jew, he had to switch, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, not just Paul's opinion, the Lord Jesus, 
that nothing is unclean. Watch this verse. We'll hit it mostly next week. Nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean. Say, Jeff, this doesn't make any sense. The verse literally just said, nothing is unclean. And the latter part of the verse, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So it's not unclean, but then it is unclean. Uh Uh-oh, that's confusing. Today's message. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you you ate it, you started something, they're grieved. Here's Paul's conclusion. You are no longer walking in love. You are now off the path of the whole point of chapters 12, 13, 14. If you're eating, which just is code for a lot of other things, is causing your brother to be grieved, you're not walking in love anymore. Yeah, but I know I've got rights and my liberty and I've got Bible true, but you're off the path now. You're not walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Next week's message. So, do not let what you regard as good. What is the good? Pretty clear. Our liberty in Christ. This is a good thing. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. And that sure does happen a lot. Why? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. His point here, those are not the most important things. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, like that way, making those the main points, not overemphasizing their eating and drinking. Verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God, main thing, and approved by men. Second main thing. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You're like, yeah, I like me being built up. We're supposed to be pursuing what makes for mutual upbuilding. Do not, one more verse, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. So it's clean. But it is wrong. Wait, you just said it's clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Hey, it's not in your handout. Can we review real quickly? I know some of you were here both weeks. Some of you here one of the two weeks. Let's review quickly the points we've made. We've seen these three things thus far. First week we saw this. Number one, we define the weak and the strong. Have you already picked it up? You picked it up? Here's the weak and the faith. These are not my terms. I'm going to use weak and strong all through this message, and I'm going to assume that everybody knows the difference. The weak and the faith are not morally weak. It's not that they don't have rules and standards. In fact, they have more rules and standards than the Bible has. Watch. They have more rules and standards than the strong in the faith do. And so Paul puts them in the category of the weak in the faith. And by the way, most all of us in some areas are in this weak in the faith category in some areas. So define the weak in the faith, I'm not eating that, I'm not going to let myself, I'm only going to eat that, I'm going to recognize and be real strict to myself on this day, and I'm not going to wear that, and I'm not going to listen to that, and I'm not going to go over there, and I'm not going to participate, lots and lots of rules. So the weak in the faith, strong in the faith. Second thing we looked at, who's right? Paul, 
Is it those who observe one day or those who, who think every day is alike? Those who abstain or those who eat? Who's right? Paul's main point out of verse 5 was our second point the first week. Know why you believe what you believe. If you say, hey, I honor one day. Why? Watch this. You say, I don't honor just one day. They're all alike. Or yes, I eat catfish and sausage and bacon and ham. Why do you do that in light of Leviticus 11? Do you just do it because all my life my mama served me that, raised on the farm, that's what we do, grew our own hogs. We slaughtered them, ate it, it tastes good, and since it tastes good, that's why I eat it. Not a good reason for a Christian to be eating pork. In light of Leviticus 11, have you studied it out? Well, all the other Christians are doing it. I know very few who don't. It must be okay. You need to have a Bible reason why you do it. Looked at that last week. And last week, the message was one main point and it was to the weak, and it's this. Hey, budge instead of judge. Budge. If you don't have Bible to back up, we know we made three quick points about judgment. Some ju- judgment is proper discernment. Hey, please don't do this. If you commit murder, lie, commit adultery, and steal, and someone calls you on it, a, a Christian brother calls you on it, ah, don't judge me. I'm sure you've committed murder too. Hello, that's not judgment. That's proper discernment from the Scripture. Oh, I'm sure you steal things too. No, this is proper discernment. We are to call each other on that. In love, like, that's wrong. Hey, your adultery is wrong. That is wrong. That's sinful. Some judgment is proper discernment. Some judgment is sincere. This is a key one. Sincere, but they're misguided. I kind of look at it this way. They have some Bible foundation, but they haven't learned all that the Bible has to say. And so it's great if they keep those rules and standards for themselves, but when it becomes wrong is when they start, in a misguided way, you know, pushing those on other people. So some judgment, sincere, mean well, started well, they just a little misguided. And this is the main one that we really hit at last week. Some, ju- some judgment is just censorious and arrogant and fault-finding and critical. And this is the idea that we have the word judgmental over things the Bible is silent on. And I closed, and I say this reverently, not disrespectfully, not making fun of. We had a list of things at the end of last week's message that some honestly believe this. You can't be right with God and a man have hair longer than their man-made guidelines. And some use ears and collars and eyebrows as those guidelines. You just can't be right with God in their world. problem is the Bible's silent. Others we hit quickly. You can't be right with God and have a beard. You can't be right with God and women wear pants. You can't be right with God and be a good preacher and wear anything other than white shirts. And you're like, Jeff, where in the world did you get this list? Things I've heard. Conversations I've had. Some of these are things I've believed myself in the past. Here's one. You can't wear denim to the church service. You have to have at least three church services. You have to have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's, that's the only right thing. It's not just a matter of preference. I prefer churches that have three services. It's the it is wrong not to have three services because that's what I've done all my life. It is just wrong. Except on Mother's Day. And if Christmas falls on Sunday. And maybe Father's Day. But otherwise, it's just wrong. Like, okay, calm down, whatever, that's fine. I notice you, on Mother's Day, Mother's Day is in the Bible as an exception. I just can't find the chapter. Some, honestly, in their hearts, ascribe our worship center as being like the tabernacle or the temple in the Bible, and like they apply these standards like 
The high priest going into the Holy of Holies. This is not what we're at. Your body is the Holy of Holies. This room is not. And so we don't pass judgment here if somebody has a drink or a, a, a snack or something like before the service and all those things. The early church met in houses. They didn't have worship centers. It went on. Some believe you can't be right with God and play pool. You can't be right with God and play cards. You can't be right with God and have a television. You can't be right with God and use that instrument. That instrument in the music is just ungodly. But we read Psalm 150 and found out, uh-oh, we may need to be a little broader. Or this style of music is godly and maybe that one, but all the other ones are ungodly. These are the... Can I just say again on that one? Quoting Professor so-and-so at the Christian University is not Bible. All right? That is not Bible. And uh, some, some music guy and syncopation and things like that, it is not in here. If you find it, you let me know. And those are fine standards for a person, but when we start pushing them on others as spiritual versus unspiritual, that's where we get off track. It spilled over to translations. Some just one, one translation is the only one that's acceptable, but it's not in the Scriptures to be found. Some ascribe spirituality to paper and leather Bibles over electronic Bibles. And I'm telling you, if we had an open forum right now, we could easily rattle off 20 more from our experiences. Some ascribe spirituality to pews over chairs, though you won't find pews in the Scripture. Song books, you've got to hold the song book better than screens. You don't find a handheld necessarily song book as above screens. And on and on it goes. Listen carefully. This is a review. Those things are high on emotion. I've seen churches fight over those issues and make definement over those issues which are at best third level, but most of them are just, frankly, opinion. Just opinion. High on emotion, low on Scripture. Don't judge. Don't judge. That's your standard. That's fine. But if you don't have Bible, don't push it on others as a measurement of godliness and a measurement of fellowship. Now for today's message, Roman numeral 4. A word to the strong. So that was a word to the weak in the faith last week, this week, and next week. A word to the strong is receive instead of grieve. Receive instead of grieve. So the weak in the faith received one main exhortation, one main admonition. Don't judge. The strong in the faith, you don't get one admonition I believe there are at least four things this text says to the strong in the faith. And I don't have time to hit all four. I'm going to try to hit three today. Three main things the Bible says to those who are strong in the faith. So as I just read the little list a while ago and you're like, that's, that's not, I'm not in any of those. Okay, maybe in those areas you're the strong in the faith. So what's the Bible have to say when you encounter those who are weak in the faith in those areas? Number one, you don't have to go past verse number one to find it. Here it is. The strong should not avoid the weak. This is Bible. The strong should not avoid the weak. Verse number one. As for the one who is weak in the faith, make sure you don't let them join your church. It doesn't say that. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So first thing, strong in the faith Christian. Don't always avoid the weak in the faith Christians. You think that would go without saying and sounds a little bit obvious, but it goes against what some in here, what you kind of feel. And here's how you can tell. Check yourself. You're in a church that you kindly, finally feel like it's right on some things. And you almost can, if you're not careful, have this attitude. Boy, I hope none of them that think those things are measurements of godliness and measurements of fellowship. I hope they don't come in here and ruin the good thing we've got going. 
careful that's not the, the, the stance of the Scriptures. Well, can't they just stay over there and let us have our liberty in Christ? No. Welcome them. Now, I'm just curious. How many of you have at least one brother or sister or brothers and sisters or brothers and you know, multiple sisters, whatever? You're the oldest sibling in the family. Would you raise your hand? You are the oldest. Quite a few here. Look, wow, a lot of oldest. Okay. Um, have you ever noticed, some of you will readily recognize this, some of you maybe won't be able to relate, but sometimes when the kids get in trouble with the parents, have you ever noticed that mom and dad might hold the oldest a little more responsible? You ever seen that? Like they, they all, all the kids get the speech, and then, come here, you know your little brother does everything you do. What are you doing? You're like, hey, why am I getting in more trouble? Treat me like I'm more responsible. You know why they're doing that? Because you are more responsible. You should be held more responsible. You're the older one. The bigger the gap between you and them, the more responsible. Did you seriously lead them into doing that? Knowing that we said, well, they, they kind of started it. And I just, oh, you're the follower. Oh, uh, I thought you was the oldest. So, Jeff, what's your point? Listen, we've read this text three weeks in a row now. This is what I've deduced. This chapter places much more expectation on the strong in the faith to welcome the weak. Paul has much more to say to the strong in the faith than he does to the weak in the faith. And he tells them, welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. Not to straighten them out. Okay, we will let them come, but boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them the speech. So the idea, don't do this. By the way, I'll tell the weak in the faith, don't do this either. So you've got weak in the faith, and they're going to these churches with all these rules and standards that are not in the Bible. I hope none of them take an attitude of, uh-oh, here comes, here comes that family. They don't have our standards. I hope they don't stay long. They probably won't if you have that attitude. Likewise, to the strong in the faith, don't take the attitude. You say, what's the point of verse number one? As for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. What the Bible is saying, watch, welcome the weak in the faith right where they are, right where they are. John R.W. Stott writes the following. He says, this verse 1 means, quote, to welcome into one's fellowship and into one's heart. It, it implies the warmth and kindness of genuine love. What if we applied that? So here's ones who have more rules than we have. Welcome them into the fellowship. Welcome them into our heart. It implies a warmth toward this person, a kindness toward this person that, that flows out of genuine love for them. Have you noticed the last few weeks? Five times in, in chapter 14, five times Paul reminds us, we're brothers. You're brothers. Welcome your brother. Yeah, but they're weak in the faith, brother. But they're your brother. If you always avoid them and, and push them away, how are they ever going to grow if all they ever have are those people who are constantly telling them the same things that keep them weak? They need to be around you. Welcome them. Don't avoid them. My particular spiritual gift, I hope you know yours, lends itself to wanting to know who's right and wrong. I'll just tell you. I think my main spiritual gift is teaching. I very much want to know, like if you've got a, hey, I've got a different take on that. If you have one, like, and you show me from the Bible, email, email me the text, I'm probably going to read it and kind of scratch like, you know, I really want, and if you make a great case, I'm probably going to go with yours. And I might even start, like, declaring it because, hey, I found a new thing. Right? I found some new truth. This matters. 
But watch. So I'm all about who's right and who's wrong. But sometimes disagreements are less about right and wrong and they're more a reflection of levels of growth. And I think that's what Paul's trying to get across. Hey, but who's right and who's wrong? Hey, hey, hang on, Jeff. Just calm down, buddy. Let's not worry so much about who's right and who's, who's wrong. Let's acknowledge there's levels of growth. Okay, all right. Now hear me. Some doctrinal issues are clear from the Scripture. They're black and they're white. It's right there in front of us. But even then, when the Bible is clear, the strong in the faith honestly need to pray to God, God, would you give me some wisdom to know, watch, how I should correct the weak in the faith and how quickly I should correct the weak in the faith. God, would you give me wisdom I see that maybe they don't know some things that the scriptures have said and they're only seeing that or they've drawn up something completely, just totally man-made, totally random. And it goes against what they're saying. Lord, how quickly? Now, I want to give you a quick hint. You guys remember a few weeks ago, you remember this? We, we talked about doctrines that are primary, secondary, and tertiary. I'm going to propose to you, the closer a doctrine is to primary, the more quickly you should correct the weak in the faith. If you're living life with each other and you start asking someone, hey, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. And they say, oh, it's good. And hey, uh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm talking about people right in here. Hey, that's great. What makes you think you're a Christian? Well, and they say, well, you know, because uh, I, I, I go to church. and Okay, well, but when you stand before the Lord, why is he going to let you into heaven? If you hear this, well, I got baptized when I was at such and such an age. I go to church. I give some money. I read my Bible. And I've stopped using bad words and I'm trying to do some clean living. That person needs corrected very quickly the truth in love. That's not like, oh, okay, well, it's good to have you. That person's on their way to hell. That's urgent. They're ignoring the primary things that salvation is by grace through faith. But if someone differs with you on spiritual gifts and they differ with you on church leadership and church government and things like that, that's not something that, okay, let's immediately start jumping in and correcting one another. Let's just kind of live it out and let's both keep reading the Scriptures. Note this. Sometimes the right thing to do is just keep loving them, keep spending time with them, letting them grow. If I could tell the strong in the faith this, keep the lines of communication and fellowship open with them. It's the only chance they really have to grow unless they're really good at reading the Bible for themselves and letting the Scripture speak for themselves. Otherwise, they're going to stay stunted the rest of their life. Briefly, before we go to the second point, here's my story. I was saved in the late 70s. My grace awakening, my understanding in some areas, happened in the early to mid-90s. I'm going to tell you how it happened. Two main things. Ready? Through my pastor's teaching and preaching, God started revealing I'm way off on some things. I have some wrong beliefs. I have some wrong stances on issues. So through Charlie Rice's teaching and preaching, it started being put in front of me, and I'm having to deal with these. But it wasn't just that, watch. It was also in him very wisely asking questions. That was Charlie's technique. I'm not telling you it has to be yours. I'm going to throw it out there as a great technique. You say, oh, I'm dealing with someone who's weak in the faith, and just by God's grace in this area, I'm kind of strong in the faith. Charlie's technique with Deanna and I was to ask questions. 
Those questions may be in a pew on Wednesday night when everybody's gone home. It may be in the fellowship hall Sunday after service over spaghetti. It may be out on the, on the basketball, the little dirt basketball court. It may be pitching horseshoes. It might have even been at his dining room table Sunday nights in the summer. But it was just a whole lot of, and, and what Charlie would do, you know, we'd talk about things and then we'd kind of come out real strong on, on our legalistic side and Charlie never one time blasted us. I later learned when he just did a, hmm. When the lips went together and the brow kind of crossed and he just kind of, hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. And then he would follow it with a question. So what, just devil's advocate, if someone were to say this, and then he would just kind of leave it. Well, yeah. Well, if someone were to point out maybe this path. Well, and we go, yeah, well, that passage kind of messes up everything I've been saying, doesn't it? Well, I'm just... He had a way of just asking questions and eventually the light bulb goes off and you think you figured it all out. You didn't figure anything out. He led you to figure it out. He was already there a long time ago. Welcome the weak. Don't avoid them. Number two. The strong in the faith should not despise the weak. You see this in verse number three. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. It's in verse number ten. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? Do not despise the weaker brother. Listen carefully right here. Try to lay this out. Hopefully you can relate. Often the weak in the faith feels the strong in the faith, watch, is either unsaved or at best backslidden. I'm letting you in. Some of you be like, I've been there. I've done that. You, the weak in the faith, look at the strong in the faith, and we can make assumptions based off how they're living. They're either unsaved or they are, at best, backslidden. And the thought goes like this. You can't be right with God and eat meat offered to idols. Duh. Here's what they say. Just listen to what I said. It's meat offered to idols. It's idolatry. You can't be right. Don't tell me somebody can be a Christian or be right with God and eat meat offered to idols. Just listen to that. <laughs> Duh. Dumb can you be? You just can't be right with God. You're probably lost if you're doing that. Now, here's the strong in the faith. The strong in the faith thinks the weak in the faith is legalistic, and at worst, they're not saved. And here's how their thought process goes. Just listen to that. Did you hear what they said? What? I just said if anybody eats meat offered to idols, they can't be right with God. Probably not saved. Whoa, whoa. Listen to that. Translation. They think they're going to heaven. They think they're right with God because they don't eat meat. Because they don't wear pants. Because they don't listen to that music. Because they don't read any other translation but that one. They think that's why they're right with God. Just listen to I think you're not right with God. I think you're not saved. I think you're trying to earn your way to heaven. We've got a real battle going on here. This is trouble. So the weak in the faith says, I'm afraid you're not saved because of how you live. And the strong in the faith says, I'm afraid you're not saved by how you believe. I'm worried for you. You think you're earning your way to heaven by your performance. Now, here's the thing. There are some, here's, here's, this is the real cog in the wheel. There are some unsaved people who believe what I just said. They're unsaved. 
Because they believe by keeping a list, their man-made list, that's earning favor with God. And they honestly think they're going to heaven because of all those do's and don'ts. And that is very troublesome. Listen carefully, strong in the faith. Listen. Paul does not see the weak in the faith. Christians in chapter 14 of Romans as that group. I've read this multiple times now and it's become very apparent to me Paul sees the weak in the faith Christians in chapter 14 as very different than the Judaizers of the Galatian churches. And I know I just lost a few of you. Like, Jude, what? This does not sound like an English word. Go with me if you would, Galatians chapter 5. You're going to want to go there. Galatians 5. So my proposition is, Paul sees the Christians in Romans 14 as very different than the Judaizers who attached circumcision and law-keeping as essential components of salvation. Paul said, that's not the same, not the same. So, strong in the faith Christians, you need to be able to see the difference between the two. Don't treat them the same. Now, those I lost, let me give you 30 seconds real quick. You ready? In eastern Turkey, what we call Turkey, it was a region that was called Galatia. Paul went into this region of Galatia 2,000 years ago, told them about Jesus as the only way to heaven. They put their faith in Jesus. Paul, as a Jew, was talking to Gentiles. He never told them anything about circumcision and becoming Jewish because they didn't have to become Jewish. He only told them about putting their faith in Christ. And so that's all they heard. They put their faith in this Jesus, the Son of God, who came and died on the cross for their sins. And they're trusting that. And Paul leaves. Watch this. The Judaizers are false teachers who came up from Jerusalem mingled it down and just kind of flowed down into the region of Galatia after Paul had left and heard what Paul had taught them. And then he tells these Gentile believers who really are Christians that they're not fully saved yet until they get circumcised. You have to be circumcised. And they would no doubt pull out scriptures from the Bible, Old Testament, and how trying to tell people you've got to become Jewish to really be saved. And you've got to start keeping the law. And they want to put the new believers, new Gentile Christians, under the law. And then Paul hears about it, and he fusses at the Galatians for even listening to the false teachers. Watch chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6 of Galatians. For in Christ, that's a location, that's an address. I'm in that, by the way. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Watch this. In Christ. So over here somebody says, hey, I'm in Christ and I've been circumcised. Hey, that's great. Praise the Lord. Good for you. And someone over here, I'm in Christ and I've not been circumcised. Oh, praise the Lord. Great for you. Paul is not like for or against circumcision. Doesn't matter. He says, point, it doesn't count for anything. What counts? Only faith working through love. Faith that leads to love. That's what matters. Now Paul fusses at the Galatian churches. He says, you were running well. You guys got saved. You were starting out well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who's corrupted you guys? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. God didn't teach you this. Very important, verse 9. A little leaven. A little leaven. Leavens the whole lump. So if you have leavened dough and you have unleavened dough, you take just a little piece of leavened dough, put it into the unleavened lump, give it time, it's going to permeate everything. Listen, this is important. What's Paul's point? Grace, God giving us salvation by grace, 
only through faith if you add just a little bit of work. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get circumcised just to make sure, just to ensure. I'm going to get baptized just to ensure that I really do make it. You have now leavened the whole lump. You are no longer saved by grace. You're trying to get saved by grace and some works, and you've messed the whole thing up. You cannot be saved by grace and works. It is only by grace. Verse 9 again, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. I'm going to go quicker here. Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. You guys aren't going to let me down. You're not going to listen to false teachers. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, Paul says, if I still preach circumcision, if I, were, if I had come in and told you guys to become Jewish, why am I still being persecuted? Paul says, I'm being persecuted because I don't preach that message. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. You know what? I, people are angry because I say it's the cross only. They want me to add circumcision, but I know circumcision does not add to salvation. It doesn't complete the deal. If I would just preach their message, they would leave me alone. But Paul says, I'm not going to do it. Watch, verse 12, it's important. Paul says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He says, you know what? I'll tell you my opinion about this. And I said, Jeff, what does that mean? They were talking about circumcision, which is taking a knife to males and cutting away part of them. Paul's attitude, I'll tell you what I wish those, the Judaizers, those false teachers, I'll tell you what I wish they'd do. I wish they'd just to mutilate themselves. While they got their knives out for you, I wish they would just, excuse me, this is reality, I wish they'd just castrate themselves. Paul, that's some strong language. This is fiercely opposing wrong teaching. Oh, it gets worse. Watch chapter 1, chapter 1. You're like, man, that sounds pretty strong. I don't know that it can get worse than that. That sounds pretty brutal. He's got some real bad intentions for these people. Galatians chapter 1, look at verse number 6. He's again fussing at the Galatian churches. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You distort something when you change its original form. They've come after Paul and they've changed the original form. Paul says, listen, Galatians, if, but even if we, if me and Titus and Timothy, Barnabas, Silas, if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, the one we've already preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, Paul says, in case you didn't get it in verse 8, here it comes again, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. You say, what's this accursed mean? Like, oh, I pronounce a curse on you. No, here's what it means. Let them die and go to hell. You say, that's terrible. Here's Paul's attitude. I would just assume false teachers who are attach, attaching works and circumcision and all these things to grace salvation and ruining it and distorting it, I just assume they go ahead and die now and they can go ahead and go to hell earlier rather than corrupting and perverting people's teaching and causing more people to go to hell. Just let, the, let them mutilate themselves and then let them die and go to hell. And you're like, Paul is really mad. Yeah. There is a time to oppose false teaching, but watch, back to Romans 14. That's not Paul's attitude in Romans 14. Whole different attitude. Did you catch it? What's he have in Romans 14? Grace, patience, now, here's what's hard. We can't see a legalistic person's heart. Hey, guys, I'll just tell you straight up. We'll get to heaven, 
and there's going to be some people missing who had lots of rules. And the reason they're going to be missing is because they were trusting their keeping of rules. But we don't know their heart. Please hear what I'm about to say. Many live by a list of rules as a way to get to heaven. It will not work. But many others, listen to this, live by things on a list not to go to heaven, but because in their heart they honestly think this pleases God. Some of the things on that list that I gave earlier, why do you do that? Why do you restrict yourself? I really believe God is honored by it. I believe it pleases God. Can I say this? Praise the Lord for that person. They want to honor and to please God. I think Paul is telling us three things to the strong in the faith here. Number one, don't despise them. They're just uninformed. Number two, don't get arrogant. You say, I have knowledge of liberty in Christ. God has shown me. Remember, that was a gift. God gave you faith to see clearly the principles of the Scripture. He hasn't shown them that yet. It's not that you're better. So don't be arrogant. Number one, don't despise them. Don't become arrogant. And then I could add this third one. Please remember this. You are probably still weak in the faith in an area. You are still weak in the faith in an area. I am. So what do you mean we may still be weak in the faith? Hear me. Just know that someone is smiling inwardly when you talk about certain issues. Like Charlie. Hmm. And really going, <laughs> bless his heart. And eventually you think I would have figured out, like, this, and I'm coming out real strong, and this, uh, the Bible says, and so this, and this, and this, and, hmm. Well, there you, I'm wrong on this, aren't I? Well, there, to quote Reagan, well, there you go again. There you go again, off on your little tangents. Just, you'd think I'd eventually figured it out. Correct me. Would you look at verse 7? Look at verse 7. We're going to touch this a couple of times this morning. Look at verse 7. It's very important. 7, 8, 9. For none of us lives to himself. None of us lives to himself. And none of us dies. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. Verse 8 is key. For if we live, I want you to picture yourself in a frame, in a scene, living. You're like, I don't have to. I'm in it right now. Right. You're in it right now. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be both Lord both of the dead and of the living. Watch this. This is important. This is a key point. It's kind of subtle. hope I can say it correctly. Picture yourself in one scene living. In another scene, they say that we have a hard time doing this, but picture yourself dying or dead. So here you are living. Here you are dying. Paul's doing this in verses 7, 8, and 9. Why? Here's what he's showing us. I need you to understand you can glorify God when you're living and you can glorify God when you're dying and dead in the next life though your body's still here. You can glorify God here. You can glorify God here. Paul, what's your point? What's the whole point? Got that. I think this is the point. I'm saying you can glorify God in both and I want to remind you of that because you can glorify God if you're strong in the faith and you can glorify God if you're weak in the faith because verse number 6 says they don't do some things because they're honoring and glorifying God. These over here have liberty to do some things and they do it thankfully glorifying God. This group can glorify God, that group can. The living and the dead, the, weak, the strong in the faith and the weak in the faith, they can all glorify God. I think that's what Paul's trying to remind us. It goes like this. The strong in the faith. That's you this morning, Christian. Could you honestly say, you know what? I might not agree with that guy about some issues. But he sure does live by his convictions. I'll give him that. That guy, 
We don't always agree. But man, he, he lives a restricted, disciplined life. I'm enjoying some things. I'd have a hard time giving them up. That guy, he, he practices what he preaches. I'll give him that much, and boy, I sure do. He does it because he loves God. I've got to give him that much. Could you say that about somebody? Now, the weak in the faith, could you say this? You know what? I might not agree with her on everything. In fact, I don't agree with her on quite a few things. But she got great faith in the grace of God. She really thinks God is so gracious that he's okay with that. And I'll tell you another thing about that lady. She knows her Bible. <laughs> she pulls out some stuff I haven't even looked at. And man, I've got to tell you, she knows her Bible. And, she, and she's really gracious and patient with me. We don't agree, but I can at least say that. And boy, God's on her life. Can we not do that? Man, that guy's disciplined. He's willing to sacrifice. Praise the Lord for him. That one there, disagree. Boy, they sure do know the Lord. And man, they can just rattle off those passages. And it's like, wow. Praise the Lord. Now look quickly at verse 10. Our point here is don't despise. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? We will all, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Everybody should have heard that as personal. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen, criminals don't judge each other. Contestants in a sport, in the Olympics, contestants don't judge each other. Who judges? The judge judges. The judge judges. Jeff, what's your point? Weak in the faith. You have the rules. You need to understand this. God is not going to judge them by your list. Sorry, He is not going to judge them by your list. Strong in the faith, you need to hear this. God is going to judge you by your greater level of knowledge, not by their lesser level of knowledge. And both need to understand, God's going to judge both by how much love did you extend to the other. So you... He's not going to judge them by your rules. So you need to not do it. You, God's going to hold you to a higher standard. You've seen more. You know more. His grace has turned the light on for you more. Both, you better love each other. That's your brother five times in the chapter. This is your brother. Third point today. Not only should the strong not avoid the weak, and the strong should not despise the weak, but the strong should not grieve the weak. The strong should not grieve the weak. Would you look at verse 15? Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Everybody say that, if your brother. Now, I'm going to step back. I, I'm, I wouldn't die for this, but I believe strongly in this. You ready? You got to pay attention here. Ready? I believe the word grieved has two meanings or applications. One will be next week, and one is this morning. If your brother is grieved, so we, we know we're not supposed to avoid, we're supposed to welcome. We're not supposed to despise. We should appreciate the strong points of this person and be patient with them. What is this grieved? I think it has two ideas behind it. Both are in the text and other places. Here's grieved. Here's number one. It means to be offended in a way that breaks the peace between you and them. Our actions can grieve them, means, uh uh-oh, we've offended them, and now the peace has been disrupted. 
The second kind of grief is even worse because it means that our actions are going to cause a reaction in them and they're going to go do things based off of our actions that's going to cause them to stumble and could I say start a downward spiral spiritually where they really hurt themselves and the Bible uses words like destroy. So one, we'll look at this point, don't grieve them, don't offend them in a way that just breaks the peace. And man, you've broken off fellowship with them because of your actions, insisting on your actions. Next week will actually be even worse because, uh uh-oh, they're using our actions to do something that really is bad for them. Verse 7 again. I said we'd look at this a couple of times. Verse 7. I believe verse 7 has an interpretation and I believe it has an application, or really I could say it, and I, I probably if I could go back and redo our notes, I might would do it this way. I think it has a primary ter- interpretation, and I think it has a secondary interpretation. I'll read it again, and I'll give you what I believe is the primary and then the secondary. Here we go, fast, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, Christians, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Here, guys, listen, it's subtle again. I think this verse's main interpretation is this. A Christian's main concern above everything else is, what does the Lord think? This is how we live. He's the Lord. Whether I'm living, whether I'm dying, whether I'm strong, whether I'm weak, I'm answering to the Lord. I want to know what does God think. That's the main thing. That's the overarching what does God think. Now here's the application. Really better would have put it. Secondary interpretation is this. It's to the strong in the faith. And it goes something like this. Hey you strong in the faith. Be careful how you live. So rule number one. Be careful how you live because God's opinion matters most. But also be careful how you live because how you live affects other people. No one lives to himself. No one dies to himself. I don't think that's the primary. I think that is the secondary. Strong in the faith. Be careful how you live. You might grieve someone else. It's this. Love. That's what we're after. So Jeff, I'm, I'm with you all the, all the way this morning until this point and I just don't agree with this because of Galatians chapter 5. We'll probably look at Galatians 5. Make sure you rightly divide Galatians 5, 1 and apply it correctly because I believe this is true. Love lives with others in mind. The strong in the faith must never intentionally trample on the scruples of others just to enjoy what they've become accustomed to doing. Hey, I've been doing this. I know it's not unclean. They can get over it. That breaks Romans 14. I'll say it again. The strong in the faith must never intentionally trample on the scruples of others just to enjoy what they become accustomed to. And if we could summarize it, here's, you want to write this note. A Christian should love others more than their rights. But i got a right to that. I know the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. They've been saved how long? Three years, three months. It's time they grow up and I'm going to help them do it. They obviously haven't been reading their Bible or if they are, they're not letting the Bible say what it says. So I'm just going to kind of live it in front of them and shove it in their face. And if they struggle for a while and they get hurt, that's okay. No, 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 guys, whoa. A Christian should love others more than their rights. And I realize as I come down the home stretch of this message, 
this is going to create some questions, and that's a good thing. I want you to wrestle with them this week, and we'll close with those questions in a moment. Verse 15 at the second part. Look at it, verse 15. Get there. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Point. Christ loved that brother or sister enough to die for them. Do you love them enough to give up a luxury of liberty? Do you love them enough? You're like, no, I need my liberty. Okay. You're breaking from Romans 12, 13, 14. MacArthur words it this way. He says, our, this is important. Our Christian liberty is vertical before the Lord. So where's our liberty? It's before the Lord. The Lord knows there's nothing wrong with it, and you know there's nothing wrong with it. It's between you and the Lord. But, he says, the exercise of that liberty is horizontal because it is seen by and affects other, others. It's seen by others, it affects others. So yes, your liberty is here. It is real. It is there. But the outpouring and the exercise of that is horizontal affecting other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Can we have that on the screen? Look at that. Paul says to the Corinthians, all things are lawful. Right. It's, it's, it's not unclean. It's clean. It's fine. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Well, it's building me up, but is it building everybody up? Let me read verse 15 to 19, and we'll come down the home stretch here. We'll read it all together. Ready? Verse 15 19. Get the Spirit one, t- one more time. But if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. That's your liberty. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Point. In the whole grand scheme of things, whether Jeff Bartlett gets to enjoy his eating and his drinking is not the most important thing. What's most important is righteousness and peace and joy. Mutual joy of both. Mutual love. And I know how, I know how we hear that. But Jeff, I can't give up my stuff. Jesus died for my liberty. I'm not giving up my liberty. I'm not giving up my meat. I'm not giving up my music. I'm not giving up my translation. I'm not giving up my pants. And I don't want to skew. This is where we really need two hours to teach this morning, but we can't. So you've got to be here next week. If you have to miss, you need to come back and listen to next week's message online. But be here. Don't listen to it online. Come next week. Catch this. But that's just asking a lot of me to sacrifice love love made God give up his son but giving up my A, B, C, D that's a lot God gave up his son Jesus gave up heaven to save you and me that's a pretty strong example of what love will give up now verse 17 I have made a special on your handout you see the quotes Perhaps. You see the little question mark beside it? Big question mark. I'm not dying for this. I've not read this. And the fact that I haven't read it or heard it is probably proving that I'm wrong on this. I think, I'm going to throw it out. Maybe the order of the words in verse 17 gives us an order of priority when we're trying to determine. Say, Pastor Jeff, 
this activity, that activity. Is it right or wrong? Should we do it or not? Maybe the order of the words in verse 17 gives us the order of priority to consider whether an activity is right or wrong, if we should do it or not. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not the most important thing. But it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to ask these three questions in this order. Here's this activity. Should I do it or not? Number one, is it righteous? Is it righteous? If you've studied the scripture and you're like, you know what? It falls under the, it is indeed clean. It's not forbidden. I'm not talking about stealing. We're not talking about adultery. We're not talking about lying. This doesn't fall on any of those. It is righteous. Second question. Will it harm the peace between me and another Christian? Consider that. Is it righteous? Okay, passes that test. Will it harm the peace between me and another brother or sister in Christ? Third question. There is this joy factor, and the joy in the activity is a gift from God. If it passes the first two tests, it is a gift from God. But is it only my joy, and I'm going to offend and grieve and cause to stumble another brother so that I'm not building them up? It's just my joy. Then maybe don't need to do it, at least in that setting, because it is now third. Your joy is third in consideration. I see that it's noon. And so I'm not going to read Acts... 21. Listen though, I want you to catch this. Acts 21, I want you to get it. Is that reference even in your Bible, on your handout? Okay, it's Acts uh, 21 verses 17 to 26. You ought to go read it. Here, you say, what's the point of it? Catch it. Paul, listen, Paul, some 30 years after Jesus has died on the cross, Paul goes into the temple and offers sacrifices, animal sacrifices, not just for himself, but Paul uses his own money to pay for four other men's animal sacrifices. And I'm going to tell you why he did it. Because James, the Lord's brother who wrote the book of James, gets this bright idea. Hey, Paul, good to have you back in town. Praise the Lord for what God's been doing on your missionary journeys. Look at all the Jews who have gotten saved here in Jerusalem. They're very zealous for the law. Paul, do you know what they hear? They hear that you're teaching the Jews out who live among the Gentiles, away from Israel. They're they're hearing that you're telling them they don't have to be Jewish and be circumcised. And they're not not getting their children circumcised. This is, I got a good idea. You need, we we got four men here. They've been in a vow. So apparently for months and months, maybe a year or so, they've been restricting themselves in that Old Testament And now they're ready to go offer some sacrifices to release them from the vow. They're going to have their head shaved. And they're going to commit the hair as a burnt offering to the Lord. So they're ready to come out from under their vow. You know what would look great to the Jews, Paul? Is if you will pay for their their animals to be sacrificed. And if you'll go offer the sacrifices too. Then everybody will see you're not against Moses. You really are still a good Jew. And Paul does it. And the Jews see him doing it in the temple and they start beating him up and throw him in prison. And if I lived back then, I think I would say, knowing what I know now, Paul, no disrespect to James, but he's not you. Why did you let him talk you into that? Why are you offering sacrifices? Paul, you know all those sacrifices just pointed to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Why are you doing it? Paul, that's like sitting, that's like staring adoringly and just staring at a picture of your wife and kids. 
while you're sitting at the table at dinner with your wife and kids. <laughs> hmm. I ain't got time for y'all. I'm adoring this picture. I just love these people. Oh, yeah, we're right here. Oh, oh, there you are. Why are you offering sacrifices when Jesus has already done it? I think Paul would say, well, calm down. I want to keep the peace. I know that. I don't have to offer these sacrifices. I know there's nothing to it. But I do it for their sake. And once again, I'm put in my place. And so I learned things like this. If I'm in a setting where a group of people believe only in the King James Version, then of course I'm going to use the King James Version if I'm speaking to them. Why? It's the Word of God. The King James is the Word of God. Preach from it more than any other thing. And so if that is the only way I could speak to them, I'm going to use that. And so if you find yourself in their setting where a style of clothing or a style of music is seen as simple and wrong, you're not going to impose it on them. You'll use their style and their music. If I'm at lunch and I know someone's a strict vegetarian, not just for themselves, but they believe it for everyone, I'm not going to order a steak rare. Why would I do that? I want to share my faith and they are not listening to a thing I say if I'm sitting there and the blood's running. So here's where I'm going to leave you confused and we'll pray. I'm serious. And you need to come back next week and formulate your own ideas. Here's the questions. So next week, we're going to have to continue this fourth point. The strong should not avoid, should not despise, the strong should not grieve, and the strong should not cause the weak to stumble. But in all of that, we have to ask these questions. I'll leave you with this. So Jeff, are the strong in faith, are they supposed to completely give up their liberty in Christ to keep from offending every potential weak in faith person in every possible area? So are we always going to be held bound by the least free person in our midst? If so, where does it end? If so, is there any real liberty? Or is it just semantics? You have liberty, but now don't really use it. Don't, don't use it. Just live under their rules. Second question. So, Jeff, does Paul's admonition to the strong allow for them to participate in a more private setting away from that weak in the faith person who sees the issues as doubtful and questionable? Does Romans 14 allow for that? And we'll address that maybe over the next couple of weeks. This illustration came to me this morning. We all enjoy the liberty of the open road. Tim and Wendy just rode from here to Seattle on a motorcycle. Good times. Hour after hour, day after day. <laughs> I'm sure eventually you got, this is great. We're ready to get there, but just open road. Everybody's going your direction, about the same speed. Don't you like that? No pressure. Woohoo! This is great. We're all going the same direction. We're all going about the same speed. This is wonderful. But. As we approach intersections and congestion, we need to slow down, use some caution, and be more thoughtful. Hey, I'm with you. I love liberty in Christ. But when I get in a congested area and I've got to look and see, and like, you know what? Let's slow down. Let's be thoughtful. Be careful. It could hurt somebody. 